Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Exodus chapter 20, we're going through the Ten Commandments. Father, we ask for the Word of God to open up. It's life to us. We ask you to fill us and feed us and build us up. We would be disciples, not simply churchgoers. We would be on fire, not lukewarm. We would be in love with you, not grown cold. Come, Father, teach us your Word. Open our ears to hear, soften our hearts to receive, and to obey. And I pray for the grace of God so we can hear your voice and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Exodus 19, verse 13. The Lord simply says, you shall not murder. Why don't you read that with me? You shall not, once more, you shall not murder. That is the sixth commandment. The Lord needed only two words to produce the sixth commandment. He engraved into a flat plate of stone this simple statement, murder not. In Hebrew, if there's just a, there's a negative particle, uh, just one letter, it goes in front of it, and then there's just simply the word murder. Don't, or basically, murder not. Murder not. You know, when you come to the Ten Commandments, you're coming to the heart of God. The Lord wrote these commandments himself. He ordered Moses to bring up two flat plates of stone, and then with his own hand, probably with, just with his, I suppose the glory of God, just like a laser, just engraved into the stone the commandments. This sixth commandment is just two words, murder not. Out of ten words which are associated with killing in the Old Testament, he chose the one which refers specifically to the killing of a human being. Whether that person's death is intentional or accidental, what we call manslaughter. The word he used, it's a unique word, not a common word, but out of ten words he chose this one and it applies equally to murder or to manslaughter. Manslaughter being accidental death. But the Lord's saying, I want you to protect life at every cost. He did not use a word that would include hunting, lawful execution, or a morally justifiable war. I say that because in the King James it reads, thou shalt not kill. It's a, it's a more general translation, a more vague translation. Sounds like just all sorts of, of, of death is, is forbidden. That is not the word that's chosen. The, the, the proper word is, and I could prove it to you if we, wanted, if we had the time to just walk on through, that it's true. It means referring to murder and manslaughter. That's where this is, is used. So as much as I don't care for hunting, uh, this does not forbid people to go out and go hunting. I just feel for poor Bambi. <laughs> Quiet little one. Man is in the woods. That's how you entertain yourself? Go for it. Uh, it is not a forbidding of lawful execution. 
it, it, uh, in fact, uh, the passage is in Numbers 35 where, where the, the, this identical word is used for murder and for manslaughter. And then following that says that those who do murder are to be executed. And so it certainly is not a word that in any way is talking against capital punishment. You can't go to this commandment and say this is, this is a commandment that forbids capital punishment. It most certainly does not. Nor can you say it, it is against a morally justifiable war. None of that is included whatsoever. It is the taking, the word actually means to crush a human. To crush a human. What an ugly thought. We are not to murder someone. He picked a word that would deny us the right to end a human life, including our own. Including our own. Since human life originated with God, it belongs to him, and therefore only he can decide who should live and who should die. Remember where life began? God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, and then what did he do? He breathed into him. Life came out of God and into the human race. It is a gift from God. It is his and on loan to us, and it is not ours to take. He alone holds the right to life and death in his hand, not us. It belongs to him. This means that eliminating people is not an acceptable solution to our problems. Now, is that a profound insight or what? Killing people isn't the way to solve the problem. Say amen to that. Amen. Though it's possible for a person to do something so evil that their execution is called for by God's word, Yet the power to decide this is given only to duly established courts who are guided through the process by biblical principles. So the effect of this commandment is to force us to seek positive ways of resolving conflicts with others. If we understand the true spirit of this commandment, we realize God is forcing us to learn to love sinful people just like he does. First of all, what does God mean when he forbids murder, what does he include? The word certainly includes the taking of a person's physical life, whether deliberately or accidentally. But, but as Jesus explains in his Sermon on the Mount, and I'd like you to turn there if you would. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. It includes even those inner attitudes which cause us to destroy people in our minds and with our words. Do you know who it was on Mount Sinai that wrote in the rock? It was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It was Yahweh, the Son of God, through whom the Father has always communicated and worked with this earth. That's who was wrapped in the cloud. That's who glowed with the Shekinah glory at night in the, in the fire. It's our Lord. And so he would know what he meant when he wrote it. Wouldn't you agree? Chapter 5, verse 21. This is the a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is what? Angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, now what does your, your translation say? 
Raka is, is the literal Aramaic. It's the word that he, he used. It means airhead, idiot. Mine says good for nothing, brainless, nincompoop. <laughs> shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says fool, mine, mine says you fool, but in the Greek it's not there, just fool is what's there, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now let's just unpack that for a minute. Murder is off limits. Manslaughter is off limits. You say, well, if it's an accident, how can you, how can you prohibit manslaughter? Well, you can be careful of others' lives. You can do what you can to prevent accidental death. You, is a, you can be, we can be sloppy or we can be careful to protect life. Let me just insert one thing. When, when you take a person's life, particularly depending on where they are, if it's young, a child, a, a young adult, uh, you may well have ended not only their lives, but their posterity's life, their children's life, which means there's, there are thousands of people who will never exist. There are thousands of people who will never exist that would have existed when you take that life. The Lord says, be very careful. Be careful not to have an accident. Sometimes it's simply unavoidable. But be, do everything you can. He forbids literally manslaughter along with murder. Just be very careful of human life. And then Jesus says here now, he says, when I'm talking about murder, I'm not only talking about the physical act, but I'm talking about what happens inside of you. I'm talking about the attitudes. And so he starts there with anger. And he says anger. And the, word, the Greek word is, is not simply the passionate burst at a moment, but the abiding attitude of anger. It's a word that's that long, slow burn of hating somebody's guts. That's the kind of anger he's talking about in this particular passage. The abiding condition of mind. He says, I'm telling you that when you hate somebody, when you build this thing in your guts, you're committing murder inside yourself. You are murdering them in your attitude. And then he goes on and he kind of amplifies and he says, whoever says to his brother, you fool, airhead, you whatever, you, and, 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 and belittles them like that, he says, I'm telling you, you have murdered them with your words. You have murdered them with your words. The biblical word for this when, you, when we verbally abuse someone is reviling. And the, and the Bible says that 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, it says that a reviler will not inherit the kingdom of God, which means participate in the resurrection. So this is not one of the things we want to do. It's not a small thing when, you go, when, when a person becomes a verbal abuser. You idiot, you stupid fool, and you go at people like that, you are sinning big time. You are a murderer in God's economy. It's not a small thing. It's not your little problem and you're Irish or whatever. It's a, it is a wicked thing to do. And then the Lord amplifies it once more and he says, whoever says fool, it doesn't say simply you fool as though it was one more form of reviling directly at the person, but whoever calls somebody a fool shall be guilty enough to go in to the fiery hell. That would be slander. In other words, I can murder you by, by verbal abuse, but I can also murder you by talking to others about you and killing your reputation 
and belittling you in their minds. Taking the dignity, the value of a human being and removing it. Breaking it down. In my mind, in your mind, it's all a bloodless form of murder. Jesus says in my economy, when I wrote that, when I said murder not, I don't want you breaking down the, the image of God that I have put in people. I don't want you seeing them as a piece of meat. I don't want you seeing them as something to be broken down. I don't want you to think that way. Let's look at why he doesn't. Oh, by the way, suicide. You don't have any more right to turn that anger on yourself than on anyone else. And don't we do it. People make mistakes and you can hear people say, you say to themselves, you stupid fool. They're just furious at themselves, hating themselves. There's this punishment that goes on. That's as wrong as doing it to someone else. You have no right. You've not been given right. In fact, you've been commanded by the Lord himself. Don't do that. It is not yours to do. Why? Let's just, let's just think on the bigger picture for a minute and see why this is of concern to him. First of all, let's remember, why did God create human beings in the first place? We've got to start there. Why did God create you? Why are you alive and breathing air today? Is it to accomplish little tasks for him? Is it? It's so that we can fellowship with him, ultimately. I quote to you from the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. I've never found a better statement. It says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify him by exhibiting his glory in us and by our worship. And to enjoy him, that's a very intimate fellowshipping thing. To, to have an enjoying, loving fellowship together with this God of ours. That's why people are made. You've got to have that in your mind. How did he create us? Well, he created us in his image. And that means that you are spirit. You are a spirit. I have, you know, you hear the phrases body, soul, and spirit. Well, I'm the only person that knows what that really means. So you've come in the right place. I've been listening to people say this kind of stuff. They, say, they keep saying you have a spirit, but you, your soul is your intellectual will and your emotions. And I'm thinking a spirit, like what do I have, a moon shadow or something? I mean, what is this little ghost in my pocket? I mean, what, is, what do you mean I have a spirit? You don't have a spirit. You are a spirit. Here's how I believe it works. Your body is the dust of the earth of which God formed Adam. Your soul is is the life within you. He breathed into him the breath of life. Your spirit is the image of God. And that means that you are an eternal personality, a rational, conscious personality. From the point of your conception, you will exist for your spirit. Spirit doesn't go away. Spirit can't be killed. Spirit can't die. Bodies can die. Spirits don't die. You are a person created at the moment of conception and you're in the image of God meaning you too have an intellect a will and an emotion you too can can think rationally you too have a freedom of choice you too you're like him therefore we fellowship with him as person to person you are spirit you have been given this wonderful piece of equipment to live in and to work and interact with this world but you aren't your body you are a person 
What is the devil's primary goal? John 10.10, 10, the Lord says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What are the three things he wants to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. That is the assignment of the devil. And then Jesus says this wonderful statement, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Don't you love that? I'm a life giver. He's a life taker. He's a murderer. I'm a, I'm a life giver. Boy, this thing is, this dichotomy is real clear. Devil wants to kill. God wants life. So we begin to realize that when we become murderers, however we do it, we are partnering with the devil in his ministry. We join him in his assignment. He, the devil, seeks to strip humans of the dignity God has given them. Whenever you see the devil get a hold of somebody's life, he degrades them. You'll often watch their cleanliness go down. You'll watch their self-respect go down. You'll watch, what, you, you, watch, you watch what the devil does and he breaks down the image of God. Crushes and, and degrades people. It's, that is, his, that is his, his, his assignment. I mean, well, assignment, he's not assigned to do it. That's his choice. It's what he wants to do. He wants to stop the plan that God has for people's lives. Always try to stop God's plan to control their spirit by by. Uh, taking them and mesmerizing their attention until we listen to him and follow him and believe his lies. And to deny God, ultimately this is the issue, to deny God the joy of your fellowship. See, he hates God. He hates God. You're a piece of meat. You're dust. You don't count. You're a one little grasshopper to him. He doesn't care about you. But if God loves you, now you're the issue. Because if he can hurt God by taking you out, then he'll do it. So the battle over you is ultimately the battle to hurt our father. And to deny him his children. To keep from him the ones he loves. And he knows every hair on every head. He knows your name. He knows... <laughs> Just had somebody with, with no hair laugh at me. Uh, all right. He knows that number. I mean, so do... Some of us, the number's easy, but anyhow. Yeah, I'm not wild about ball jokes. But what I'm saying in this is, it's not like he's got masses of people and he says, ah, you know, so I, I lost a few billion, but I got, you know, I got, I got a good group over here. He, he doesn't think like that. He knows them all by name, and he lost this sweetheart and this sweetheart and this sweetheart he lost. And he's so grateful for these that he has. But it's not a cheap thing. It's not masses of numbers. This is God. And he knows each of us like an only child. And so the devil knows that and the war is on. And he's determined to take people from the Father. What is the goal then of the sixth commandment? To prevent us, you and me, from partnering with the devil in his work. The devil wants to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil wants to degrade humans. And God has commanded us saying, don't help him. Got it? Don't help him. We must refuse to help him steal, kill, and destroy. His main weapon of influence on this planet is through the human mind. He recruits us into his cause. 
you know, we often think of the devil kind of running around doing bad stuff, but how he does it is by recruiting human beings, deceiving us, lying to us, pulling us in through our lusts and temptations until we become his soldiers. We do his work. Think of it. The murders. Think of the concentration camps. Think of the, ma of the weapons of mass destruction, biological warfare. Think of the, think of the rapes and the theft and the, and the degrading that goes on around the earth. It's through people. Think of the horrific governments. Literally demonically controlled governments. It's through people. What he has to capture is the mind. He captures people's minds and we become his foot soldiers. And I'm, what I'm saying today right now is that you and I can get captured in some of these respects with a murderous attitude. We too can begin to kill people in our hearts with our words. Not simply, physically. We can join the devil in this degrading of other humans. God wants us to partner with him by loving others and seeking to bring them to God. So we're literally choosing sides. This is a very profound commandment. I mean, there are all sorts of issues, but man, this thing of, of life and death is in this commandment. What attitudes give rise to murder? Let's look at them. James 1, 14 and 15. I'm going to turn there if you want to turn with me. It's uh, right after Hebrews. James is, you know that. It's the Lord's half-brother. God, con God converted after the resurrection. That'll do it, you know. When you see your brother resurrected, and then, you know, maybe you really are the Son of God. I'm going to go with that. Start at verse 13, I'll read. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Ah, so there's a seed that gets planted that gets received. And when the lust has conceived, when this thing has gone into the mind and stayed there long enough to grow, it gives birth to sin, an action. And when the action is accomplished, it brings forth death. James explains that evil actions such as murder are the mature fruit of temptations planted in our minds. He warns that if these seeds are allowed to remain in the soil of our minds, they will grow until they produce an action. Then once we actually act on the impulse, death is released. How does the seed of anger grow into murder? Well, anger is the desire for retaliation to an injury. It can be directed at self individuals, groups, God, or the devil. First of all, I want to talk about anger itself. Now, this may, you may not have expected this and say, like, I'm surprised he's talking about anger itself, and yet I believe it is a very, very significant area. We end up with self-loathing and suicidal attitudes, if not actions. The attitude that comes is, I want to punish myself for failing to meet standards. I have heard each of these quotes that I'm about to give you. One is, I'm ruined goods. 
It doesn't matter what I do anymore. I've heard young women make that remark after losing their virginity. The idea is that now that I've lost my virginity, it doesn't matter anymore. Once it's lost, it's gone forever. And so now, what difference does it make what I do with my body? Because it's already spoiled. Now, that's a terrible lie. God can restore virginity. You say, wait, 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 wait. Yes, he can. I've watched him do it. I've watched him put a totally virginal spirit and heart back in people. It isn't the action that's the issue. It's the heart. It's the heart that's the issue. It's the purity and the virginity of the heart. It's the chasteness of a person. I've watched people who have had wild lives, wild lives, turned into the purest, most chaste people. Don't kid yourself. It isn't the action. But the devil would come along and say, you're ruined. It's gone. It doesn't matter what happens anymore. And so there's almost this, this, this wild rush into destruction because who cares what happens to me now? I'm ruined goods. That's the devil's lie right out of the pit of hell trying to break you down. I've heard this quote. I've made wrong choices that have ruined my life. I've made such stupid choices that I am now going to have to live out plan B, C, D, who knows what. I have to just sort of survive the rest of my days because of the stupid choices I've made in my lifetime. I've heard that mostly from depressed men who assess their lives and are furious at themselves for the choices they've made and now hopelessly depressed look at the rest of their life and say, there's nothing left for me. I've wasted my chances. That's a lie. I have observed when, a, when anyone will turn and begin to, to radically obey the Holy Spirit. Four or five decisions later, your life is on a completely different track and you are back rolling. Do you hear me? I'm not saying this to be nice. I've watched it over and over again. I know it's true. All that has to happen is a radical decision to follow Jesus Christ in faith doing whatever he asks you to do. That'll scare the liver out of you. It'll be totally radical. But when he's done with you, you're a new person. I can promise you that. I'm not bluffing. Try it. And so here's the devil trying to say, your life's ruined, bud. You're hopeless. You shot it. It's all gone. And wanting to bring that, wanting you to destroy yourself, wanting you to verbally and mentally, if not physically, commit suicide. See, he's the, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I came giving life. There's two forces, man. There are two forces on this planet, and it's either death or it's life. I've heard this quote. I can't believe I did what I promised myself I would never do. I am not the good person I thought I was. This is somebody after a moral collapse. Promised themselves they would always be faithful. They would always do the right thing. They would never do this. And all of a sudden, they have done the very thing they said they would never do. And they're stunned at themselves and plummet into a depression and a suicidal uh, self-hatred. I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be alive. I'm not who I am. I'm I'm. And they then rage against themselves for their failure. You also are deceived by the devil. You didn't realize that you were made out of the same dust the rest of us are. You were proud and stupid. 
in that sense. Forgive me, I'm not trying to berate you. I'm trying to put it in perspective. <laughs> the attitude, shall I say, is stupid. The attitude is stupid. You are, as we all are, weak. And what you need is the power of God. Only God can cause you to stand. Only God can take you through. Only God is really good. It's when I'm full of his presence that there's goodness in me. It's not resident in my flesh. I haven't the willpower, nor have you. But when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, then I can do all things. Do you see? So you, you, you just gotten in touch with a piece of reality now, which could drive you into the arms of the Lord. Or you can make this terrible decision about yourself. Oh, I'm trash. I'm a bad person. Look what I did. And the devil is dying for you to believe that and then having you hate yourself and have these suicidal attitudes towards yourself. We can turn our anger on individuals. We can destroy the person in our minds by turning them either into a demon, saying there's basically nothing good in that person, or a fool, meaning they are worthless and hopeless subhuman. That, of course, another word for that is politics. <laughs> and that is one reason that this is as oppressive a season as it's been. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, it's getting worse and worse. Um, in which there is this demonization of your opponent so that you just loathe the person. You just, they're, they're, just, they're just a devil incarnate kind of thing. Or, they be, or you ridicule the person and berate them until they are a buffoon. Reduce them to subhuman. Whatever it takes, you murder the person. In our minds, with our words. And it's all, it's all death. And it brings a sickness to our soul, does it not? So even in politics, this kind of thing is off limits. Ooh. Well, what can I do then? You, you could pray. Political hatred is not an acceptable form of hatred. You mean I have to love them? Yeah, you do. See, this isn't your, this isn't your home. We live here, but you don't belong here. You are only sojourners on this planet. You're camping. Your home is somewhere else. And your kingdom is somewhere else. And you have another Lord. And so we have another assignment. We are, we are a different people here. We are a people on assignment. We are a people in the middle of a war for souls. And we mustn't lose uh, sight of that. Let me give you an example in my own life. And I'm going to pick one. I could do plenty of recent ones, but I'm, those are dangerous. I'm going to go way back. <laughs> Years ago... Uh, we, we, we had planted a church, and uh, the Lord blessed the church. It grew well and became a, a, a wonderful church. And then I felt like the God had called us to teach at the Bible College in Los Angeles. And in leaving that church, I fully assumed that, you know, someone wonderful would come in and take the church, you know, from that level to the next, and it would go on. And instead... Uh, a man who was very unhealthy personally was put into that pastorate and it just devastated the, the congregation. And within 18 months had taken a, a, a good-sized congregation down to uh, 50 people. And, and uh, 
I wasn't angry. You're going to probably think I'm angry at him. I wasn't angry at him. I thought he's just a fool. I just figured he was just a, a, a sick duck and, and a, a bad apple and they shouldn't have put him in there and whoops and get him out. And that's really how I viewed him. But what I, where I was angry was the denominational leader that was supposed to handle it. And he went in and had a meeting with that congregation and he bullied them. He was mean to them and harsh. By the way, you have a good covering right now. You don't need to worry about that. But they didn't then. And uh, he came in and talked rough and harsh to that congregation and, and uh, sort of stood behind his guy kind of thing. It turned out to be just absolute sick individual who's out of the ministry now. Thank heavens. Um, but he, him, I was furious at him. Now nobody said, did anything to me. I'm, I'm a thousand miles away. But they did to my people, to my congregation. It's my flock. I mean, you know, you don't. And you know, sometimes the things that'll make you the maddest aren't what are done to you. But anybody touch your children, touches your loved ones. I mean, you go to war. It's just like I'll kill you. I'll just kill you. You touch them again, I'll kill you. And uh, and 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 it's, it almost feels righteous in a sense because I, I mean, I'm right. I'm a, I'm a shepherd. This is my flock. I turn them over to you, and you do what to them? You know. So I have, there's there's a justifiable reason. But the way I responded was sinful. I hated that guy so much. That I was literally, and I'm telling you the truth, I, would, I woke up from dreams in which I was beating him bloody with a two by four. Unfortunately, I woke up before I got the job done. No. Um, that's, a, that's a sick joke, and I, I just I don't mean that at all. I just, I just want you to know I, I'll do anything for a laugh. Anyway. Well, I woke up and I realized, man, you are hateful. And there was, no, there was nothing you could put on a thing like that. I thought, look at the impulse in me. Now, I know it's wrong. And many, many times I had said, God, I forgive him. God, I forgive him. God, I forgive him. I forgive him. You know. And I tried to unload this, but I couldn't. You know, sometimes the offense is so bad that that hatred is, almost, is, is, is a terrible war. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You know what it is to have, somehow you've been so injured that it's all you can do. You know, it's just the thing just comes back involuntarily over and over again. Finally, I went to the Lord and I said, God, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I clearly have an anger in me that I'm out of control. I can't stop this thing. I don't know how to get over it. And I, then I said to the Lord, I said, I suppose you'd want me to talk to him, but... And I said, but he's so stubborn, he wouldn't talk to me. And uh, he was one tough guy. I mean, I am not talking about some marshmallow here. This is a tough individual to have been confronted. And I said, that he's a thousand miles away. And uh, I'm poor. I, I don't have the money to go there. So if you wanted me to talk to him, you'd have to bring him to me. I felt pretty smug and I thought it's in his court. <laughs> Two weeks later, they announce in chapel that our upcoming Spiritual Emphasis Week speaker will be this person. 
When they said that, I sat there and I just looked up and I said, you are good. <laughs> You're amazing. Oh. And I knew I had a divine appointment. And I'm telling you this because I want you to know something. You too can have divine appointments. I don't know how God would help you, but he will. Well, when he, the fellow showed up and when he first got there, he went up and I said to him, I said, I need to talk to you. I and he said, we haven't had too good a week, have we? And I said, a good year. And I said, no, we haven't. I, I need to talk to you. Well, the week spun by and I didn't get a chance to talk to him. And here we were on Friday, the last service, and he was headed to the airport. And he headed out the side door to get to his car, and I went after him like a linebacker. And uh, I said, I have got to talk to you. He says, I got to get to the airport. I said, I got to talk to you. And he says, 10 minutes. And we sat down on the front seat of his car. And I said, I got to confess to you something. I said, I have hated your guts. I have been very, very angry, bitterly angry. And I've sinned in my anger toward you this year. Um, I think you handled that badly. But I don't have any right to feel the way I felt. And just for my part, I've got to confess that to you and ask you to forgive me for hating you. His response, I don't think he used the word sorry, but he in effect said, Steve, I did not mean that to happen. I did not mean that to happen and to hurt that church. Ten minutes later, I stepped out of the car. And I could tell that a, th a thousand pounds were off my back. I still didn't approve of the way he handled it. I don't today. But I no longer have the murderous hate. In fact, I can separate his mistake and even his weaknesses and love the person. Now, he's gone now. But I can love him and I even sort of miss him. Isn't that crazy? You see, when God looks at you, he's able to separate the sin from the sinner. You remember that? He sees you as, his, as, a, as a human being. And then he sees the sin as, some, as, as something separate. It's something that you, can, you and I can be terribly entangled with. But he separates that. Even in the vilest sinner, you can go to death row. And God can look at the person and separate the sin from the sinner. He can say, I see you. Yeah, I know what you did. But I still see you. And I can look at this man and I don't like the way he handled that. But I can love him as a brother in Christ. And I even miss him. It's a strange thing. I look at myself and I think, what's happened to you that you could miss him? I do, I miss him. That's what you and I are supposed to do. We're supposed to look at people like God does. Separate the sin from the sinner. Not hate the person. Realize what's going on. View it from God's perspective. How do we avoid murderous attitudes? First, remember, killing people is not the solution to our problems. Physically, mentally, or verbally. We are not to help the devil do his work. Second, remember these principles. The source of the problem is spiritual, not human. There is a demonic thing at work behind all of this. 
Ephesians 6, 12, you know it. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then he describes all of the demonic forces going right up to Satan himself. We have to look beneath the surface, remember the bigger picture. There's somebody else involved. There's a spiritual source in all of these things. What is, what is the devil trying to do? He's trying to divide the body of Christ. What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to set us a, a nation against itself. A house divided cannot stand. We are so bitterly divided now, so hateful. I mean, the camps are hating. They're not, just, they're not just politically differing. They're hating each other. Do you see what the devil's trying to do? Abraham Lincoln said, no, no nation will, will come and conquer this, this America. No, no forces can cross this ocean and, and capture us. The only thing that is a house divided. If it can do, our house can be divided, we'll come down. You can, if you look beneath the surface, it's not about Republicans and Democrats. You look beneath the surface, there's a devil at work trying to divide the nation into hating camps, trying to divide our families into hating camps, trying to divide our marriages into hating camps, trying to divide churches into hating camps. The solution to our problem is also spiritual, not human. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So we don't, we don't use fleshy tools to solve it. I have here a, uh, what I thought at the time was a clever statement. Our, weapon is, our, our weapons are pers persistent, faith-filled, God-pleasing, agreeing prayer. That kind of prayer. It's turning the other cheek, going the second mile, patience with people. It's forgiving others debt because God has forgiven my debt mercy and it's hate the devil and want to deny him every soul evangelism. We see things differently. We fight with different tools and here are finally some practical steps. Since we have no option but to love we must learn to cleanse ourselves of murderous attitudes. To do this we must regularly experience God's love and mercy. He sets the standard how can I not forgive when I am so freely forgiven? Love when I am loved so extravagantly. You and I must experience the love of God and the mercy of God. We're going to take communion. We'll have the communion table set up. And we are all going to come to the Lord's table and, and receive his broken body and his shed blood. And he is going to wash us, you know, even as we just dump out any sin we can think of, he'll wash it away, won't he? No matter how bad, no matter how often we've sinned, he'll wash it away, won't he? And he says, freely you have received, freely give. I'm to give you the same grace that he has given me. You are to give me the same grace he has given you. When we experience his love and mercy, it simply leaves us ashamed to do anything else but to love and be merciful as our Father is. We are to weed the garden of our minds by removing newly sprouted seeds of offense. When those seeds begin to sprout, when you, you don't leave the seed in the soil of the mind, you know that it's got to come out, you address it. Where possible, reconciling with people, writing the letters, making the phone calls. Where not possible, certainly praying. And I would say one helpful thing is confess to others the lingering offenses and seek their prayers. Don't keep it hidden. Don't keep it in the dark. Confess it to somebody else and ask them to join you in prayer. Steadfastly refuse to allow the angry thought to be reintroduced. Treat these, temp these tempting thoughts that want to come in and make you angry over and over again as a demonic assault. It's a fiery dart. Recognize it for what it is and cast and refuse it place in your mind. 
And then this constantly remember our assignment is to reconcile people to God, not murder them. Would you stand with me? Psalm 133 says this. How beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And then he says, the psalmist says, it's like the anointing oil that went over the high priest Aaron's head and drizzled down his beard and down his robe. In other words, when they poured the horn of oil over the high priest and consecrated him as a priest, where the Spirit of the Lord came on him for his duties. He says, when brethren, meaning all of us love each other, when the people of God love each other, refuse to murder each other in their minds, in their words, when that, that is simply not part of us, he says, it's like there's an outpouring of the anointing oil over those people for priestly ministry on behalf of God. Then he says, it's like Mount Hermon, which is, has the dew. Mount Hermon's 9,000 feet high, and even in the hot summers in the Middle East, there's still alpine meadows that are green in that mountain all year round. And so the life doesn't come and go, but it remains. 365 days a year, there's fresh life on that mountain. And he says it's like that when brethren dwell together in unity. People, I believe that God is calling Northwest Church to revival. That he wants to do a new thing at a new level among us. Do you believe that? I'm going to tell you one absolute precondition for it, without which he will not do a new thing. Only if you and I will choose to love each other, to not murder each other, instead to separate the sin and the sinner and to love, to forgive, to reconcile, to do all we can, not to th all think exactly alike, but to love each other. To love each other, to be committed to each other, to value each other, to speak rightly of each other, to refuse to slander each other. It must be a commitment on all of our parts. And I want you to know, I've already, long since, but I'm, I'm deeply committed to this myself. I am totally committed. I will not do this to you. I don't want you to do it to me. I don't want us to do it to each other. Why? So that God will pour out his Holy Spirit. That horn of oil will come over our heads for priestly ministry. All of our heads. That life will spring forth and stay and not come and go and burn out because there's love there. It was when they were all in one accord that Pentecost happened. It's when they all gathered in prayer in one heart that the power of God shook the place so that it physically, like an earthquake, Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we come to your commandment. We come to your word today, murder not. And Lord, I don't think there's a person in the room, starting with myself, who has not violated this commandment over and over again. We could say with Isaiah, we are a people of unclean lips. We slander we talk about each other, we talk about politicians, we talk about, you name it, even ourselves with murderous tones. Forgive us, O oh God. And we just say today, as we hear your word, we will not partner with the devil in his work of tearing down human beings. Instead, we will partner with you in giving life abundantly. 
And so grace us. We want your outpouring. We want revival. We want life. We want to see you do a miracle in our generation. We don't want to hear about one. We want to be part of one. And we recognize we must obey this commandment for that to happen. We simply must obey this in all that we're capable of doing. Would you empower us and grace us? Would every one of us today just empower us and grace us to love like you love, to speak about people like you speak about people, to think in our hearts toward one another as you think in your heart toward us. Come Holy Spirit and do your mighty work in us, we ask. Now, if you are of a mind that says, I choose, I want the outpouring of the Spirit. I want revival. I want God to do a new thing. I want that power here. And I will be part. I will be part of being a life giver, not a life taker. In how I think about people, in how I speak about people, how I speak about myself, I will be a life giver, not a life taker. Would you say, yes, Lord? Lord, hear us. Holy Spirit, come now. Empower us to fulfill this commandment. Empower us. We choose, our will is, obedience. Now your power and fatherly care must be given to us for us to obey it. We receive it right now upon us as a church, upon us as a people. Thank you, my Father, for your grace to us. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.